voice hearings, voice 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 hearings, voice 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 this is Hearing Voices, conversations with the voices that bring the excitement of college sports alive. Now, here's your host, the voice of your fighting tigers, Chris Blair. Well, we are rolling during the football season. Yes, we're headed into week number two, and uh, the Tigers one and one. Had uh, the big victory over the Southern Jaguars this past Saturday at Tiger Stadium in what was uh, really a great weekend all around here on campus. And uh, now we get ready to enter SEC play, which is, of course, uh, a different animal and a different color altogether. Mississippi State rolling into town. Five o'clock kickoff between the Dogs and Tigers. And uh, Coach Mike Leach and company coming in 2-0 and after a pretty lengthy trip out west. Uh, as they got the win over Arizona this past uh, late Saturday night into Sunday morning. Welcome into uh, Hearing Voices. Happy to have on the show to kind of talk about our business and, of course, uh, get kind of a matchup preview between Mississippi State and LSU. Is one of my favorite guys. Uh, I've known him for a number of years. Um, you know, we got a lot of similarities. Uh, we both grew up in, in very small towns. He in uh, East Tennessee, me in Eastern Kentucky, uh, we're both kind of the type of guys that, uh, you know, we're, we're comfortable at the Ritz-Carlton and, and we're comfortable at the uh, Dew Drop In. But it's a pleasure to have on the show once again this season the voice of the Mississippi State Bulldogs in his sixth season, Neil Price. Neil, thanks for uh, taking some time out and joining us this week. Glad to be here, although I'll say I think I probably am a lot more comfortable at the Dew Drop In <laughs> than the Ritz-Carlton, having stayed in, in versions of both. Uh always worry I'm going to scratch something or drop something at the Ritz-Carlton. Uh, well, I didn't say – Words there I don't understand. That, let, me, let me say this. I, I don't know how comfortable we both are at the Ritz-Carlton, but we can at least pull it off. We can act like uh, we can hang out in the Ritz-Carlton. Yes, yes. Sixth season at Mississippi State, my friend. And, you know, the reason that I, I make that such a big deal – is um, I noticed that getting ready for the show, and then I thought to myself, wow, Neil's been there six years? And then it hit me that this is my seventh year. And, you know, the old saying is you, time flies when you're having fun. <laughs> Hard to believe I've been in Baton Rouge over seven years. But uh, for you, um, you know, what's it been like over the last six seasons? Every time I talk to you, you seem like you're having the time of your life, which uh, the old saying goes, if uh, you're having fun, then you don't have to work a day. Yeah, I think that's a good way to describe it. You know, it's it's still fun, uh, you know, and it's what I always wanted to do. Always wanted to work in this conference. Always wanted a chance to do football and men's basketball in this league. And I've been fortunate to be able to do it. And they haven't fired me yet. Uh, if they're tired of me, they haven't shown it just yet. And I'm glad for that, too, because, uh, as you know, you, you can wear out your welcome if, if you don't handle it the right way. And I've tried my best to just follow the example that, that Jack Crystal sat here or set here for 58 years and Jim did so well for the six years uh, in between. And I keep saying to people, if I can chase their example, then at least I'll be on the right path. And we've tried to embrace what we can there. And, uh, you know, the teams have been good. They've been competitive in, in both sports. and. That always helps you to have a little more fun. Uh, and I work with great people. You know, Matt Wyatt and Jay Perry, who do the football games with me, 
are wonderful. Our engineers, Jonathan Ashley and Ross Swanner, have been around. And, you know, those guys all predated me here and, and made me feel welcome. And then in basketball, I get to work with Richard Williams. I mean, and that's just like the greatest thing ever, you know, because here's a guy who went to the Final Four. Uh, he's full of great stories, one of the great coaches in the history of the program, and a really good person on top of that. We have a good time when we go on the road together. So when you're away from your family, uh, you, you hope that you're in a situation with people like that because that's what makes it tolerable. That's what makes it uh, easier to sacrifice, uh, I think, th that time at home. And, and I'm really fortunate in that respect. You know, we we are. And, I, you know, it's interesting you mentioned uh, Coach Williams because what's great about when we play Mississippi State or you guys come to Baton Rouge is that I have the luxury and really just the, the, the privilege and honor to have John Brady. And, of course, he and Richard have that coaching history um, together and both yes. uh, took their programs to, to new heights or to big heights while they were, you know, head of both Mississippi State and LSU. And those two guys are good friends and, uh, you know, socialize outside of, of basketball. So when we're able to get together – uh, sometimes and grab something to eat when we're either in Starkville or you guys are in Baton Rouge. I mean, we really are. It's it's one of those nights where you just sit back, uh, you try to eat, not look goofy, and let those guys tell stories, and it will be a fantastic night on the road. And some of the stories might actually be true. Uh, how many? Up for debate, probably. A and maybe if we're lucky, a few of them can actually be told on the air. And uh, yes. that's the other yeah, thing. Maybe. You know, and, and you know, they started coaching together here. They were both assistant mm -hmm. coaches together here with Bob Boyd, I believe, and then obviously uh, worked together again when Coach Brady was at Arkansas State. Uh, so you know, they they've been around the block several times, uh, but they're wonderful people. And uh, you know, I, I always enjoy, especially when we get the SEC basketball tournament. Uh, there are times where we'll wind up side by side you know you guys may be playing early ahead of state or state may be playing early ahead of lsu and you always get a glance because coach brady will hear something that coach williams has said uh, in analyzing a play during the game and he'll just roll <laughs> his eyes or smirk or do something you know and that's always a blast but uh, yeah you know this is a league fortunately where we, we still embrace people who have had large roles in in putting programs on the map we still keep them around uh, because we know there's value in, in those people and uh, I don't know that that can be said in a lot of other leagues across the country so it's just another thing that kind of makes working in the SEC so much fun you know I mentioned uh, Neil Price our guest this week as we get ready for Mississippi State and LSU I mentioned we have a lot of similarities and one of the ones I forgot to mention, Neil, was that, as you pointed out, this is something you've always wanted to do. You wanted to be at the SEC. You wanted to be representing a school on the radio. And that's pretty much the same story for me. And we both have very similar, uh, you know, idols in this business. And, and they all, not all, but most reside over the years here in the SEC. And, you know, I, I know we've talked about it before on this program. You've been nice enough to join me, I think, for three seasons uh, on hearing voices but you know is it I just think about the similarities of you know around your growing up it was uh, obviously John Ward probably you could hear you could probably hear it in your house you could probably walk outside in your neighborhood and you could still hear it from the neighbors um, which was the same story with Kaywood Ledford for me at the University of Kentucky growing up 
in the coal mining areas. But we also, I think, are similar in the fact that we sought out uh, those beyond John Ward and Kaywood Ledford and knowing some of the other voices and characters and really great broadcasters this, that this league has produced for decade upon decade. And I know I didn't get a chance to talk with you a lot about it last year, uh, but the program on SEC Network, I know they talked to you some. And I thought you really summed up uh, in that documentary why it, it is important and why it has been important for the growth of the SEC. I know now it's on television. You can stream every game. There's not a single matchup you can't watch in virtually every sport. Um, but the, the play-by-play broadcaster on the radio, and maybe the youngsters, we'll, we'll educate Harrison a little bit here, part of the growth of this league beyond each individual state as a collective was because of those gentlemen that, that held this job well before we did. Right. Uh, and, you know, I can – I can speak to a degree uh, to what happened with, with, with Tennessee. And, you know, even before John Ward, you know, if you go all the way back to the very beginning there with, with Lindsey Nelson and General Neyland, you know, it was, it was General Neyland's idea to, to spread Tennessee football across the state with a radio network. And he had Lindsey Nelson who just come out of school at Tennessee uh, and then – Ed Huster Sr., um, those two guys worked together to network stations and start spreading the brand of Tennessee football. And then, of course, you know, that was followed by George Mooney. And for them to get George Mooney was a huge deal because George Mooney was doing Arkansas football on the radio at that time. And Arkansas was really good. And, you know, General Nealon goes and recruits George Mooney to come to Knoxville. Uh, and he does the games with uh, a great Tennessee player named Bob Fox for about 10 years, and they give way to this guy named John Ward. And for the next three decades plus, rest is history, you know. Uh, and I think John Ward was the guy because of his enthusiasm and his excitement and his background in advertising that kind of took all of the groundwork that was laid from the late 40s up until he took over in the early 60s, he took it to a whole different level. Um, John Ferguson at LSU is a great example because John Ferguson was able to reach not just people across Louisiana, but he could reach half the country because of the power of WWL, a clear channel station. Uh, you know, so the brand of LSU football and the fighting tigers and the Chinese bandits and all of, of, of the lore gets spread across the country. And you heard this big booming voice that was John Ferguson uh, that kind of kept you on the edge of your seat. John Forney, same in Alabama. Jack Crystal, obviously here. Um, Stan Torgerson at, at Ole Miss. Otis Boggs at Florida, Kay Wood at Kentucky, Larry Munson at Georgia, um, who John Ward said once might be the worst communicator. Or he said he breaks every rule, but he might be the greatest communicator <laughs> I've ever known. That's right. You know, uh, because people in Georgia just connected with Larry. Um, you know, Paul Paul Eels at Arkansas. You could name. You know, pick your state. 
uh, in this league, and that's your guy, and it's the greatest guy that ever did the games. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's great to be a part of that lineage in some way. Um, and I don't care to tell you, I mean, I'm the mule in the Kentucky Derby, okay? I'm the guy who doesn't belong here probably more than any of the rest of us. But I thank God every day that I am. And and I'll keep showing up and, you know, fake it till you make it or, or keep faking it, you know, and, and until they catch you, you know, I'll, I'll keep doing it. But, uh, and i tell you, too, you know, to, to, to throw a bone to those guys in TV, too, um, I've learned a lot from those guys. You know, I think I've become a better football announcer because Brad Nessler was kind enough two years ago to walk me through his process and how he prepared for a game. And it just seemed to make sense to me. And that was nothing more than I saw Brad uh, as a guest on someone's podcast and he went through it there. And I thought, you know, that, that kind of appeals to me. And just reaching out to him blindly saying, Brad, you don't know me. But I do the games at Mississippi State. Uh, I saw this. I'd like to talk to you about it. You know, I think it could help. And he was great to do that. And I've gotten better because of it. I don't have a problem telling anybody that. I'm, I'm not very smart. <laughs> and I keep going back to the old guys because the old guys, to me, did it the right way. And if people loved and revered those people because they thought they were good or great at their jobs – then why keep trying to reinvent the wheel? The old ways are the best ways. Uh, I've told you this story, I think, before, but basketball, large part of how I prepare for a basketball game comes from Woody Durham, and it was a similar deal. I read an article, uh, might have been on the UNC Athletics website one day, about someone followed Woody Durham around on a typical game day, and they talked about the four-colored ink pen. And everything was was written immaculately on a chart. All the stuff that Woody did, he got there three hours early before tip-off of a game. And I thought, you know, this is a guy I can learn something from. So I found his email address and just blindly emailed him and said, hey, Mr. Durham, you don't know me. I'm doing women's basketball and baseball at Kentucky. But I read this article, and it appealed to me, and I'd really like to talk to you. And Woody packed up in a large you know, shipping envelope, four or five different charts, basketball and football, um, index cards. He had a real fascination with note cards now. He, he used them all the time for, for different things, drive charts and football and everything else. Sent all that to me. He said, here's my number. Call me on Sunday night. I'll explain all of it. It was, it was two hours on the phone, but it changed my way of thinking. Um, John Ward's descriptions, K. Wood's descriptions of games. Um, and, and the reason I think they were so good, Chris, is because they're what I call second-generation broadcaster, okay, because they all learned in some way from listening to the people who created the, the, the craft, Graham McNamee, uh, Bill Stern, Ted Husing, um, Find an old tape of Bill Stern and find a tape of John Ward and listen, and you can hear it. And they were the people who created it. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and, and I got hung up when I was younger, too, at, at being, you know, okay, golly, if I don't have a catchphrase or if I don't say something that can go viral, <laughs> what am I going to do? I'm never going to make it. 
And I had a realization at about 38 years old, 37 when I when I started here. Jack Crystal didn't care if he said anything that went viral. If he was still here today, he wouldn't care if he said anything that went viral. He'd care about who's got the ball, how much time's left, what's the score, and cut out the bull, because that's what Duty Noble told him to do. So I try to do that. Do I have some fun with it occasionally? Sure, because no one should take themselves as seriously as people believe we do. Uh, and it should be fun. If it's not fun, then it's time for me to quit doing it. Uh, but, yeah. So I, I realize that's an incredibly long, bloated answer <laughs> well, to your question. Sometimes I, mean, I get on the soapbox. I'm sorry. Well, Neil, that's great because, again, I think you and I would probably have a four- or five-hour podcast talking about the history of, of sports broadcasting because we both love it just as a fan and as – part of the history of, of broadcasting in general when radio was the number one medium to to get games out not just here in the south but you know major league baseball every major city i mean that was that was the medium so it's still nice to go back have an understanding uh, of what was was done then how important it was then the legacy they left and also i agree with you wholeheartedly what they were able to do with the business the, the blocking and tackling, if you will, of, of calling a game, uh, there's really not a whole lot you can do to improve that. And uh, I, I think when you when you stick with the basics, the, the Joe Friday mentality is kind of the way I always tell people when they ask me uh, for at least my job. Um, you know, the, I, think, I think that's the best way to go because that's been tried and true. Neil Price is our guest this week on Hearing Voices. Got to talk a little bit about this game, buddy. Um, you guys come in 2-0, uh, two pretty good wins. First off, i got to ask you, are you feeling normal now? I, I know that getting back from Tucson was a little bit of a challenge uh, and was a little bit of a very late night and a very, as it turned out, late morning for you guys getting back. Number one, are, are you? is everybody back to feeling normal here as we're midweek getting ready for the game on Saturday? Yeah, I mean, I think players, you know, when you're talking about 18 to 22 year olds you know that it's not that big a hurdle for them to overcome uh, I try to think about when I was their age and I mean I was never an athlete but staying up half the night part of the morning wasn't very hard for me 18 to 22 <laughs> I could do it staying up past about 11 o'clock nowadays can be a challenge at 42 years old uh, <laughs> But, no, I think everybody's fine, um, you know, and they still went through the regular routine on Monday. Everything just got sequenced a little bit later. Uh, same routine on Sunday, going through re-watching the game from Saturday night, making the mental corrections, all that. They did all that stuff, even with, even with the late arrival back in town. Uh, again, just sequenced a little bit later. So I think everybody there is fine. Um, it was just good to see him go on the road and win a game. You know, I mean, because you could have used any number of excuses or pointed to any number of potential distractions to, to use the coach speak there uh, if, if they wouldn't have won the game. Well, they started late, played on the West Coast, cross-country trip, um, anything. And, and they were just like, we just got to go play the game. And uh, they faced some adversity in the third quarter of that game. Uh, had some drives offensively that they didn't finish or just didn't execute very well. And to their credit, they found a way to fight through it. And in the fourth quarter, delivered a knockout punch when they needed to. So I'm encouraged by that, that they're, they're older, 
the experience is showing up now in that there is some mental toughness there that maybe they didn't have at times even last year. And it's been a while since we could say Mississippi State had an older football team. And when you're playing in a league like the SEC, experience counts. So uh, it's good to see them lean on that a little bit here early. 2-0, 49-23 to open the season uh, against Memphis. And then, as you said, uh, kind of a contentious game there until about the third, halfway through the third quarter. Had a chance, uh, all relative here. I, I, I live about uh, air miles, six miles from home. I didn't get home until about 2 a.m. Sunday morning. Now, that's not 11 a.m. like you guys. But I did get a chance to, to watch a lot of that game. They were able to pull away from Arizona 39-17. Uh, to 17. As we look at this matchup with Neil Price, voice of the Mississippi State Bulldogs, I, I'm going to start differently, Neil. I'm going to start defensively because what I saw Saturday, and I, I did get a chance to see some of the Memphis game, but what I saw against Arizona was uh, a really salty defense. Um, again, and I think Zach Arnett – uh, I'm sure he feels like he's beloved, but I think from a from a college football perspective, he doesn't get enough credit because it's always about the the air raid offense. But the last couple of years, I I, I think this has got to be at least from my eyes uh, a major step forward defensively. And man, oh man, if you can put up 39, 40, 50 points a game and your defense can play well, uh, that to me makes a pretty good football team in whatever league you're playing. Yeah, well, they, they have done a pretty good job in the first two games of playing complementary football. And I think that you're absolutely right with Zach Arnett. His name is going to be at the top of a lot of lists, not just to be defensive coordinator based on what he's done here, but to run somebody's football team. And I think he'll be really good at it if and when that day comes. Uh, I think he will really excel at it. Uh, he is – hard-nosed, old-school, a little salty, to, to, to use your term. So I think that defense kind of embodies the guy that's the coordinator. Um, you know, and, and a lot of the success for it starts up front. Uh, they've got some depth on their defensive line. They've got some guys who have grown in to, you know, their roles there. They've all been cross-trained, it feels like, at all those positions, so they've got some versatility too. And they can keep fresh people out there, and, and what the hope is is that by keeping fresh people out there, they can apply a little pressure and be disruptive. And, and in the first two games, they've been able to do that. Doesn't always mean they're going to sack the quarterback, but can they get pressure and force an early throw or an errant throw? And last year, you know, the secondary was kind of maligned uh, gave up some big plays, and I think that it has benefited from a year of experience and that added depth on that defensive line. And of course, at linebacker, I mean that's that's kind of the heartbeat of that that whole you know side of the ball because you've got Buki Watson and Jet Johnson and uh, Tyrus Wheat, all who have played a lot of football here and all who are, are unquestionably leaders of the defense. So, again, comes back to what we talked about earlier. you got a combination of guys who've got some experience and age on them, and when you're in this league, you, you can't ever have enough of it. And I think that's why that defense has been able to take a step. You know, I was listening to Coach Kelly on Monday during his press conference, Neil, and, and he was trying to, you know, trying to, I think, help some of the media understand what it's like preparing 
for Coach Leach's offense, and he, he was using the analogy of the triple option, which immediately perked up my ears because I covered triple option football for 10 seasons. And, and what he was trying to say was, is not only is it, you know, a lethal offense that, that makes you work, uh, but it's a ball control offense. And that's, that's what the triple option is built for. That's what Army does. That's what Navy does. Um, and, you know, when you look at – you talked about being complementary offense and defense. The number that jumped out to me earlier this week was uh, under 27% third down conversions the opponents have had against Mississippi State. Now, you take that number, which uh, again was 7 of 26 so far through two games, and you look at time of possession, and Mississippi State is at the top of the SEC, and they're near the top, I think third in the country uh, in time of possession. So you mentioned complimentary. If you're getting guys or teams off the field three and out and stopping third down conversions and turning the football over, uh, to Will Rogers in this offense, I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist, and I don't think you and I will ever be accused of that, to figure out the more opportunities they have with the football, the more trouble you're going to be in. Yeah, well, that's the hope at least, you know. And to, to Coach Kelly's point, uh, the way that Coach Leach described the air raid to me when he first got here was exactly that. Well, it's kind of like the triple option. And my simple mind's going, wait a minute. <laughs> no, it's nothing like the triple option because the ball's in the air all the time. Well, but but to, it's ball control. And I think that's the great misconception about the air raid is people think, okay, if you're going to put it in the air, then you're either going to A, score quickly if you score, or B, you're going to have incomplete passes. Teams are going to get you behind the chains if you get a sack or a TFL of any kind and you're going to give the ball up quickly. That Those, to me, are the major misconceptions of it. When it's run well, you put together long drives. Um, you know, they've had several double-digit play drives already. They've had a handful of drives that have gone six and seven minutes inside those first two games, too. And you wear down an opposing defense because you keep them on the field for a while. Uh, these guys don't sub a ton, and – you know, if, if the offense doesn't sub, the defense can't either. You know, so it, it, it all works together. But it's fun to see it now with, with these older guys out there running it because you, you kind of get an idea of what it's really supposed to look like. We'd see it in pieces, you know, the last two years. But now you've got the added element of the run game. Uh, Will understands now how to use that part of it to his advantage. And I, I told some other folks earlier this week, I said, you know, with the exception of a negative play late against Memphis, State probably would have had over 100 yards rushing in that game. I think they got into the high 70s rushing at Arizona. And, you know, someone who doesn't follow it would think, well, you know, less than 100 yards, that's nothing really to, to crow about. Well, 75 or 100 yards rushing in this offense is like 150 or 200 in anybody else's because it just doesn't happen all that often. So uh, it's enough to keep a team honest. That's, that's the goal. Can you run it enough to get three yards of play if you get the right look and then force the defense to where it has to make a choice and then maybe you can take advantage with a, a deep shot over the top? You know, on the offensive side, you know, kind of, kind of segueing into that, uh, one of the things I heard this summer really leading into the season, Neil, was that in this third year for Mike Leach, 
observers feel like Will Rogers is the prototypical quarterback for this air raid assault. Now, the early numbers so far bearing that, 79% completion percentage, uh, nine touchdowns. I know he's thrown two picks. When somebody says, and I, I, let's say, number one, I'll ask you, is that true? Is he the prototypical quarterback? And second part of that is, what is it about him beyond just the, uh, the completion percentage and the yardage that makes him that? Well, I think he is because when he was in high school at Brandon, right outside of Jackson, Mississippi, they were running the air raid. And a guy who was a quarterback there ahead of him is a guy named Garner Minshew who played for Coach Leach at Washington State and in the NFL. Uh, so Will's dad was the offensive coordinator. He understood those concepts. And, and when Will got here, he already had a, a basic understanding of what was expected of him at that position. Now, again, things are more complex when you get to college. You're, you're competing against defenses that are bigger, faster, stronger. So everything has to accelerate. You got to think on a little bit different level, and, and the internal clock's got to speed up. And all of that has happened in the last year and a half that I've watched him, where he's basically had to be the starting quarterback. Um, valuable experience. I mean, yeah, he, he, he wouldn't be the same guy, I think, if he, he had sat on a bench for two years behind somebody and then stepped into the starting role this year as a junior. Uh, he took some lumps, but, but they were valuable lumps for him. Uh, in terms of the mechanical stuff, uh, I think the ball comes out of his hand quickly. Uh, mentally, I think he gets through the progression quickly. And the air raid's not one of these deals where you want the quarterback to stand back there and hang on to the ball a long time. You want it to come out fast. Uh, and if there was a knock on Will in the first year and a half, it might be that he was guilty of hanging on to the ball a little bit too long. He took too many sacks. And that was just him trying to make a play, hang on to it long as you can and make a play. I think now he understands to recognize the look he's been given. If the play that he's originally called doesn't look like it's available to him, how can I get the offense into a play that will make a positive gain? And he's done a pretty good job of that in the first two weeks. So, you know, his background certainly helps. And then I just think growth, maturity, um, God-given ability, all those things go into what have, has made him, as you say, maybe the prototypical guy to do this. Well, he used 12 receivers in Memphis uh, to get that win. He certainly will sling the ball around the yard, but they do it very effectively and very precisely. Real quick, a couple of minutes, like uh, maybe a minute, Neil. We, we talked about defense. We talked about offense. Special teams, a big deal for LSU in week number one against Florida State. I know last year there were some struggles there. This year in that uh, special teams hidden yardage, how are the Bulldogs going into Saturday? Well, I think there's still a work in progress there. Uh, good news is is that we saw on kickoffs Ben Rabin could put the ball in the end zone regularly. Uh, last week, that's what you want. You want to make sure you, you force the opposing offense to start at the 25. They've got two good punters who are kind of – specialist in their own way with regard to how they're used. Archer Trafford can boom it. George Georgeopoulos has got a knack for being able to pin people deep uh, with a short field. 
so I think you're going to see both of those guys. And then, you know, field goals. Ben was good last week. The only opportunity State's had to kick field goal, 39-yarder. So they're off to a good start there. But that's an area where they needed to improve, and I think they brought in people who can help them improve. All right, last thing I have for you. I know you've been preparing for the broadcast. You've been looking at different position groups. You've been getting your charts together. You think uh, the top one or two matchups you're going to be looking for early to see maybe give us a weather vane on this game uh, coming up on Saturday? I think it's wide receivers against secondary on both sides because I think you got good receivers on both teams and you have quarterbacks that are capable of getting the ball in the hands of those people. Um, I mean, LSU's got gifted athletes at wide receiver. Uh, so, you know, State's got some guys who got a little experience. they got some good young people that are athletic, too, that are making some plays. So I, I, I'm looking there. And in SEC, I think you always got to look at line of scrimmage. So State's defensive front has been really good at creating some pressure, making some things happen. Can they do that against LSU's offensive line and vice versa? Can State's new tackles playing in the most hostile environment they're going to have played in since they took over their positions? Can they hold their own against LSU's defensive line? Um, again, I'm pretty simple-minded, but you know that that's kind of where where my eyes go getting stuff together. You know, as we talk in the middle of a week here. Yeah, I agree. I think all of those points are are right there at the top. The other two that that seem like I'll be looking for early is defensively. How many different looks? Uh, do they try to give uh, Will Rogers? Do they try to you know put eight back in coverage? Do they try to get after him again? You've touched on it multiple times. He gets rid of the football quickly. And then secondly, on the other side, you know how will Mississippi State defensively try to keep Jaden Daniels in the pocket? Obviously, we've been able to see uh, through both games, uh, second half against Florida State, and obviously all week uh, or all the first second quarter he played uh his ability to not only extend plays but uh, make the right decisions tuck and run and pick up uh, big yardage but it will be another great matchup uh going to be a great atmosphere great to start sec play and it'll be great to see you neil here at tiger stadium on saturday night you and your crew travel safe and uh i know you'll have a great call but uh have a great call saturday thanks same to you chris Neil Price has been our guest. Great to have him with us here on Hearing Voices. And don't forget, 5 o'clock, we're going to kick it off. Mississippi State and LSU to begin SEC play here in 2022. Thanks to Harrison Valentine for all that he does, the wizard behind all the buttons, and Neil Price for taking time out of a busy week. We'll see you back here next week. Until then, this is Chris Blair, still Hearing Voices.